ShareCare is the leading online health and wellness engagement platform, providing millions of consumers with a personal, results-oriented experience by connecting them to the most qualified health resources and programs they need to improve their health. It's time now for ShareCare Radio on RadioMD.com. Here's your host, Dr. Daria. Hi, and welcome to ShareCare Radio. This is Dr. Daria. We are back with one of our Busy Women's Guide segments. These are some of my favorite segments, and today we have with us Yum Claire, which she goes by Yum Arnold. She is not only the founder of LeapFrog Services, and she's a CEO there currently. It's at locally Atlanta-based. She also previously grew distribution company NCCLP into one of Georgia's five largest privately held companies. Before that, she spent a decade at mar- as a marketing manager at Coca-Cola, and Yum is also a member of tons of boards, too many to name now, we'll get into it, and in all of that, raised three children and always kept them as a priority as well and kept focused on her own health. So we're going to learn how she does it today. Yum, thank you so much for joining us. Really glad to have you. Talk to us a little bit first. Just tell our audience about your background and how you went, you know, your multiple career steps. So my first job out of college was Coca-Cola, where I went to work in the um, long-range planning office doing merger and acquisition work. And I stayed at Coke the majority of 10 years, left once in the middle, worked for Pfizer in New York for a brief period of time, and went back to Coke and ended up managing the rollout of the plastic container program. Mm-hmm. The plastic. When we thought it was a really good thing for the environment, uh, because it was they're lighter and they don't take as much energy to, mm-hmm. to transport. Um, after... The majority of 10 years there, I decided to leave because I found that the farther you go up in a big corporation, the more you have to conform. And because at that time I had two children and didn't have control of my time. Mm-hmm. So with the help of my husband, I did a leverage buyout on a small, about a $30 million distribution company and ran it for 15 years and built it to a billion two in sales, about half through acquisition and half through internal growth. So 30 million to 1.2 billion in about 15 years. 15 years. Not a bad return. And that gave me great flexibility with my family because I worked harder and more, but on my terms. Mm -hmm. So the only times I really had to adhere to someone else's schedule was when my big suppliers were coming or when the bank called. Otherwise, I could leave to do doctor's appointments and violin lessons and carpools, which I think is really important to do, yes. so you really are there for the important times in your kid's life. To have that flexibility. And we did a roll-up in that industry, mm-hmm. and it became time for us to get rolled up. And so we sold that, and I took a bite. Well, the plan was to not work for somebody else, but I went on four corporate boards. They're all New York Stock Exchange, small cap boards, and I was chairing the board of my college and doing some really interesting things. But one day, after about three years, for the second time in my marriage, which has now been 42 years, uh, my husband looked at me. The first time he said, you're driving me crazy, you need to go back to work. That's when our first child was born, and he was in law school. And the second time, this time he said, the kids and I have taken a vote and you need to go back to work. And he knew that I'm just happier when I have outside stimulation. And the really interesting thing was the kids would come home. They were in 
one was in college by then, one was in high school, one was in junior high, and the two at home would come back and say, you're the only mother we know who's ever had a life. When are you going to get a job? Which was very reinforcing to me as a parent to feel that they liked what I did and they really preferred when I worked. So that's when I started LeapFrog. And part of my husband's drive was I was trying to do all this from home. I'm a terrible administrator. It was before you filed everything on computer. And I was getting buried by the paper from four corporations, the boards, and everything else I was trying to do. So, and, and also I'm about 50-50 on the introvert-extrovert scale, and he's a complete ex introvert. So when I was home alone all day, when he came home I wanted him to talk. And he didn't want to talk. He needed to be alone to regenerate. Right. So I started LeapFrog not because I'm a technical expert, but because I just saw a need for it. Basically through his office who, he had um, a man in the van that came and fixed his technology when it broke, and he has about eight people in his office. And this fellow got sick, and I was trying to help him find somebody to replace him. And each person I found was another man in the van who slept with his beeper, didn't take a vacation, didn't write anything down. Or there were VARs who had sold equipment and added service because they felt like they had to, but they didn't really understand service. So I did what I swore I'd never do, and with somebody I met going through Leadership Atlanta, I just started it and hired the best technical people I could find. And then about a year later, we had the opportunity to, well, two years later, actually, to buy a company here in town that had the same vision that we did and had gotten a lot of capital but didn't get a second round. It was in 2000 when the bottom had fallen out of the technology arena. And we bought the assets of that company and still have the primary founder with us at SETO. Now, it's so interesting you've been involved in so many different industries. How did you move and have these repeat successes in so many different industries? Was it just taking some of the same principles and applying them in different ones? Well, I'm, I'm not a specialist in anything. I'm a generalist, and I'm really curious. So I'm happiest when I'm in a situation where I don't know anything and I have to scramble to learn as fast as I can. And I'm very logical, and I sort of see in systems. So... It's, it's natural for me to go into an industry and sort of understand it mm -hmm. and to understand the points of difficulty. And I just have learned by really the Socratic method. I mean, when I bought the distribution company, the person I bought it from walked out the day I came in. And everybody expected me to know any, everything, and I didn't know anything. So I would ask, when people came to me to solve a problem, I would just ask questions until we had the answer. And that's something that I've continued to do because I think most people who work in the trenches have the answers within themselves, but they don't know how to get to them. But if you ask enough questions and you take them through that process frequently enough, then they learn to do it themselves. So I've always done that. Interesting. So you can get it from the people with whom you work. They may not even know it, that they can right. answer it. Right. Just asking the right way. And that 
you know, that's another really interesting leadership principle because we were, you know, Kathy and I were talking. It's not only that you're sitting on boards, you are the chair, and in many cases, the first female chair of many of them. What are some of the kind of leadership principles that you take and bring with you to each of those? Well, I, um, I'm very collaborative. I like to gather people around when there's an issue and collect all the data and try to read bring people to consensus, but when I can't, I'm willing to make the decision. Very respectful of the individual. I try to be very transparent, and I try to surround myself with the smartest people I can afford, particularly people who are really strong where I'm weak. So for instance, I'm terrible at details. I'm like a one on a scale of one to ten. I'm not, I can figure out procedures, but once I figure them out, I never want to do them. And I'm, you know, I'm not great at process. So it's really good for me to work with people who are really strong. To really, really compliment you in that. Right, right. Now, are there any lessons that you may have, ways that you may have learned this kind of like a trial by fire? Or any? Well, like, everything's been a trial by fire because I haven't known anything. Really. I mean, when I, even when I went to coach, I was the only non-MBA in the department that I was in. And within a year, they had made me the same position as the, the MBAs, just because I think of the way I question and the way I tend to think, I don't like to use the term because it's so trite, but outside the box, I really am not confined by training. Mm-hmm. And come, being new to an industry, you also bring some fresh eyes to it as well. I guess, yeah. Okay, that's very, very helpful. Now, um, you know, you... With LeapFrog, you have this IT outsourcing consulting business right as there is the dot-com boom and then there's the recession of 2007. You know, what were some lessons that you learned as you're navigating those changes to your industry? Well, I really took lots of um, lessons that I learned in the distribution business, which was a very, uh, had very thin margins. Mm-hmm. So we had 6% gross margins, and if you made a half a percent at the end of the day, you were doing well. So when I started LeapFrog, I got the tiniest space I could and told people I needed to be paid in 10 days, and, you know, just because I was bootstrapping it. Mm-hmm. And, um, hot-seated people until we could afford to go to another space. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, common sense, really. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then the other thing that we tried to do is not concentrate fully on one industry. So when the economy goes down, not every industry is hurt. So if we had been totally in real estate, which we had a chunk of business in real estate, we would have died during the real estate crash. But we were um, diversified enough in our client base that we were able to survive. And our model um, allowed us to grow with the people who were growing, but then shrink for them in our fees and so forth as they laid off people. Mm-hmm. And then when they got through the downturn, then you know we could build back up. So that really helped. Yeah, an outsourcing business allows that kind of flexibility right, to their right. customers. That's very useful for them and makes it more survivable during those busts yeah. that they had. You know, moving from your business to the charity work, you know, a lot of us are interested in various, you know, volunteer things. How do you get involved in them and, and become on the board of charity? Well, you know, I've never asked to be on the board. I've just 
sort of gone where I'm invited. I don't go everywhere I'm invited, but I've tended to gravitate towards education and, and sustainability and environmental mm-hmm. issues just because that's what I really care about. So I was on the board of the Georgia Conservancy and I ended up chairing that. I probably was the first woman who did that, but I never really think about that. Um, and once I get involved in something, I'm so curious. I mean, I usually say yes because I'm curious. Mm-hmm. And then once I get involved, I have such kinetic energy, I want to do something. And the trick is, or the struggle is, getting overcommitted mm-hmm. and not doing anything well. Yeah. But I like the board work because it's doesn't have to be feet on the ground doing things. It's more um, helpful in strategy and the things that I'm supposed to like explicitly. And so, you know, you mentioned not getting overcommitted. How do you choose where you spend your time? Do you allocate? Is it formal or is it just noticing how your schedules work? It's usually just noticing how my schedules work. So I got to the point with corporate boards that, you know, they meet four four or five times a year and you don't miss them. You just have to be there. And they can run your life. So I would get, I finally decided we need one month of the year where each of us is not committed to something that we have to do. And I picked August. And if, if a board had a meeting in August, I'd say no. You know, it just, mm-hmm. you just figure it out. But I think a lot of people, when they go on public boards in particular, don't realize that uh, the, the schedules are set and you, you just can't mess with them. Mm-hmm. And it's a serious job, so yeah. you don't miss. It is. In those ways, it, those are jobs. Right. And do you have any suggestions for any of our uh, people in the audience who are trying to get involved in charities? Just find what you're passionate about and just kind of show up and be curious? Or I think, you first of all, you have to figure out what you're really passionate about. And then you might um, volunteer. Mm-hmm. All organizations are looking for people who want to help them, the nonprofits. And if you um, express an interest, there's a chance, there's a good chance that once they get to know you, you'll get involved in some way. And sometimes it starts by being on a subcommittee of a board where you're really not a board member. And they could see you and want to have you have more of your time. And a good way to become more involved. Right, but I think that if you express an interest to the organization, that's great. They love that. Mm-hmm. I really like also what you mentioned about setting aside August, which segues into kind of the the personal life slash balancing it all. So you kind of noted that for the family. August, is that kind of like August was the family time? or Well, by the time commi- I figured that out, the kids time. were pretty much grown. <laughs> um, but I didn't really get involved in much nonprofit stuff except around the kids' schools and my college until they were at least in high school. So I think when you have children and they're young, they have to be your first priority. Mm-hmm. And what really happens, I think, with women in particular is that, you know, you have a job, you're in charge of the house, you have your children, and you come last. Mm-hmm. And so the, the struggle is to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you fit it in? Well, when I was 
1976, I started meditating. Mm -hmm. And I meditated twice a day, every day, until 1988. And that grounded me. You know, I would do it before I got up, and it would help me sort of settle my mind for the day. And when I got home, I would go straight in the room and meditate. And the children know, knew that for 20 minutes, mm -hmm. I was off limits. And that would give me enough sort of energy and refocus to go cook dinner and whatever. Um, life got really busy, and I stopped meditating in 1988. And I realized about five years ago that the correlation between not meditating and getting meningitis 14 times was directly related. So Men I think meningitis 14 times. Well, yeah, and it it's aseptic, but it, you uh -huh. know you still get a spinal tap, go in the hospital, get morphine. Mm -hmm. I mean, you treat it the same way, but mm -hmm. but um, yeah. I just realized that the meditation is what helped me restore. And I think people have to find their own. Avenue. Some, for some people, it's running, and some people, it's reading. And so I started meditating again, and I haven't had meningitis since, which doesn't mean I won't. But I just think that that was my weak spot. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's physically has a weak spot or two. Yeah. And when you get worn out, um, that's when you. Yes. It's true, and it shows that you know, when your health and stress are suffering, those really go hand right. in hand. Now, in our last minute, talk, can you talk a little bit about you know any guilt when you take a step away for 20 or 40 minutes, or how do you put that aside? Because I know any working parent or anyone in general often feels guilt about where we're putting our priorities. I don't feel guilty about it because I feel that I'm better mm -hmm. when I come back. And um, I think that we all need to honor ourselves mm -hmm. and our health or we can't be strong for anybody else. Okay. And any last tips for everybody about balancing it or how you prioritize things in our last minute? The only way I prioritize things is if, if I put it on my calendar, mm -hmm. I do it. Occasionally I have to change it, but it's rare. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not only how I prioritize things, but how I organize things. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that I have to leave home to um, be organized because I'm very ADD, mm -hmm. and if I'm at home, I get distracted all day long, and at the end of the day, don't feel like I've gotten anything done. Mm -hmm. That's great. So it seems like a lot of it is knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, and seeking help and asking questions right. when you're in those places that you don't. Right. Yum, thank you so much. This was fascinating. Really helpful for all of us. I think I really need to meditate now because you're the second person in a row read to these that told me I should. Really? So maybe it's a sign. Again, this is Share Care Radio. You're listening to Share Care Radio on Radio MD, and this is Dr. Daria. Thanks for listening. Follow us at Share Care Inc. and at Dr. Daria, and stay well. <laughs>